Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. Last week was Veterans Day, a day to honor our nation's military veterans. Commemorating this day on November 11th each year not only preserves the historical significance of the date, but also helps focus attention on the important purpose of Veterans Day, a celebration to honor America's veterans for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back to our Reagan Library Veterans Day program from a week ago, which included an honor guard, live music, and keynote remarks from Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, retired. Lieutenant Colonel Mann is a former U.S. Army Green Beret with tours all over the world, including Colombia, Iraq, and multiple tours in Afghanistan. He is also the best-selling author of Operation Pineapple Express, which is an edge-of-your-seat true story thriller about a group of retired Green Berets who come together to save a former comrade and 500 other Afghans being targeted by the Taliban in the chaos of America's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Let's listen. Before we go any further, please join me in thanking Thomas Baker, a veteran who served in the U.S. Coast Guard, the U.S. Navy, and the Air Force. Thank you as well to Royal High School's Wind Ensemble and the Santa Susana High School Abbey Road Acapella Group. Thank you for such a, a wonderful beginning to today's program. I'm going to ask you to please stand for our national anthem. The Ronald Reagan Marine Corps League Detachment 597 will parade the colors. Parade the colors.
retire the colours. Thank you. Please be seated. My name is David Trulio. I'm the president and CEO of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation. We are thrilled that, here, that you are here with us today. There are certain special guests I would like to recognize as we get started. First, we are very honored to have with us the U.S. representative for our district, the California 26th District, Congresswoman Julia Brownlee. I would like to extend very special thank yous to Lisa Pate and Bevan Abbey for providing terrific musical performances today. I understand he's not in the room, but uh, thanks as well to Paul De Nublio uh, and the Washington Artillery of New Orleans for the great reenactment in the courtyard. And I would also like to thank the Naval Mobile Construction Battalion for showcasing their military vehicles at today's event. Let's thank them. Now, I'm now going to recognize several uniformed and civilian Navy officials, so please hold your applause because we're fortunate to have several of them with us today. Uh, first, uh, from the, a handful from Naval Base Ventura County, First, Captain Robert Kimnock, Commanding Officer, Naval Base Ventura County. Next, Captain Jason Kranz, Chief Staff Officer. Command Master Chief William Cumley. And so that's from Naval Base Ventura County. There we go. But separately from the US Navy team, we have Captain Michael Mino, Commander of Naval Construction Group One. We have Stanford Parks, Navy Wounded Warrior Coordinator and Stephanie Durazo, Recovery Care Coordinator. Let's give them all a hand. I'd also like to welcome our special guest, Malia Keller, Vice President of Marketing with Logix Federal Credit Union and a US Army veteran herself. So let's give her a hand. This is the second consecutive year that Logic's Federal Credit Union has sponsored our Veterans Day commemoration. We are very grateful to Malia for the generous support from Logic's and for joining us in honoring and saluting all who have served to protect our way of life. And of course, a very special thank you to each and every veteran in our audience today. We thank you for your honor, your bravery, your dedication to our country and to its freedom we salute all of you. So with that, let's give it a hand. So it's, it's worth recalling the words here, here at the Reagan Library of President Reagan himself from 1986. And I'm gonna read a brief passage that really captures the spirit of this day and this moment. President Reagan said, on Veterans Day, we take respite from the ordinary business of daily life to pay honor to those who have served in the armed forces throughout our nation's history. It is right that we should meditate upon the principles for which so many Americans fought, peace, freedom, and the sacred and inviolable dignity of all men, principles that still give hope to the nation. 
But let us above all consider the veterans themselves, the millions of men and women who have given of themselves, even of their lives. Our veterans are the heroes among us. On this Veterans Day, let us pay them tribute and let us resolve to live up to their example. In honor of these men and women, including those who made the ultimate sacrifice or who were wounded or who otherwise suffered great hardship for their country, I ask for a moment of silence. Thank you. And now to our speakers. First up is a service member who has served in the Navy for almost 19 years, most recently stationed at Naval Base Ventura County. She represents the valiant wounded warriors that serve or who have served our nation. Ladies and gentlemen, First Class Petty Officer YN1, Becky Florio. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, and fellow military members, the paradigm has shifted. The once perception of the Navy wounded warrior being one that only had physical disabilities seen by the naked eye. However, in today's world, that is no longer the case. Psychological illnesses and mental illness have moved to the forefront. Many of us in the Navy wounded warrior program today have disabilities that are not visible to your eyes, but only by what we tell you. Humbled by this honor and touched by the recognition, I am reminded of the vast oceans that we sailors cherish. Its unpredictable nature and balanced horizon is much like life itself, filled with storms and serenity, dangers, and discoveries. When I first joined the Navy in 2004 at the age of 18, it was the promise of seeing the world that got my attention. I did just that with countless underways on board the USS Ross when I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. I completed two Mediterranean deployments. During my second deployment in 2008, is when I develop lymphedema in my left leg. It's the swelling of the lymphatic system, and no one knew why it had happened. I continued to do my job as a sonar tech second class and stayed on board the USS Ross for another year and a half. Two years later, while on shore duty, my right leg developed it as well. I went on to serve at Fighter Squadron 14 in Lemoore, California, and Naval Construction Battalion 18 here in Port Wyneme. Today, I'm stationed at Naval Construction Group 1 as YN1 Yeoman First Class. While managing my lymphedema daily with compression socks, as you can see, and lymphatic massage that helps to manage the swelling, as this condition will never go away. I began my journey with the Wounded Warrior Program September 29, 2022, where I went through the medical board process, recovery, rehabilitation, recovery, and reintegration. The program has helped me navigate many journeys with resources, great community, and guidance. The program lead, Stanford Parks, is truly a godsend. I will continue to serve as I have for the last 19 years until November 30th, 2024, when I retire with 20 years of honorable service to this great country. Thanks. Upon that time, I will continue to serve my fellow Americans by becoming an elementary school teacher in Alabama helping mold the minds of the future of this great nation. Every wound, visible or invisible, is a badge of honor 
a testament to our resilience, our willpower, and relentless drive. Let us celebrate not just the victories, but the struggles that led us there. For in the heart of every wounded warrior lies the spirit of a champion, a spirit that refuses to be defeated, a spirit that embodies hope, resilience, and courage. I would like to thank my husband, Anthony, children, Jackson, Reyna, family, and countless friends who have been by my side through this journey. Thank you again for this honor, and may we always sail toward brighter horizons no matter the challenges that lie ahead. God bless the wounded warriors that have guarded our nation's values with courage, bravery, and zeal, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you, Becky. Our keynote speaker today is a true patriot in every sense of the word. He is a former U.S. Army Green Beret with tours all over the world, including Colombia, Iraq, and multiple tours in Afghanistan. But his sense of duty and heroism didn't stop there. He is also the founder of Task Force Pineapple, where he actively advocates in Congress and on national media for the safe passage and resettlement of our abandoned Afghan allies. And if that wasn't enough, he founded the 501c3 organization, The Hero's Journey, where he helps warriors, first responders, and their families find their voices and tell their stories in order to bridge the civilian-military divide. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct honor to introduce to you Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. More from our Reagan Forum podcast honoring Veterans Day after this message. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our Reagan Forum podcast honoring Veterans Day. What does it mean to be a veteran in these crazy times that we live in? Now, I'm sure everybody here has heard of the Navy SEALs, right? Amazing elite commandos who took out the world's most wanted terrorist, Osama bin Laden. But how much do you know about another elite organization known as U.S. Army Special Forces, or the Green Berets? Now, what I've found that most people know about the Green Berets uh, is a movie with John Wayne by the same title. <laughs> the Ballad of the Green Berets by Barry Sadler. And then most recently, they've made a movie about Green Berets on horseback in Afghanistan, but the lead character is the same guy that plays Thor. <laughs> and none of these are fully accurate, and I know because when I was a 14-year-old kid, I decided to become one. I grew up in a little logging town called Mount Ida, Arkansas. And one day, a Green Beret named Mark, he walked right out of a recruiting poster and into the soda shop where I was sitting. His, uh, his uniform was pressed to perfection, and he had these big, shiny boots. And I was a runt of a kid, 
and pretty severely bullied at times. And this guy, this guy was everything I wanted to be. But as cool as he looked, it was really the mission of special forces that pinned me to the mat. Mark sat down with me and he said, Scott, you know, um, Navy SEALs are some of the best in the world at coming in on a target, taking that target down, and then they come off the target very, very quickly. They usually do the mission themselves. He said, Green Berets do some of that, but the real specialty of our unit is we work by, with, and through indigenous people, and we help them stand up on their own. And over the years of doing this work, I do a lot of work with young people that are going into to, to special forces, and, and what I tell them is to, do, to be a modern-day Green Beret, you need to be a combination of John Wick, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and the Verizon guy. <laughs> or the Sprint guy, or whatever he's called. In other words, relationship-based connectors who just happen to be lethal, but only when it's necessary. You know, after I had that conversation with Mark, I never looked back. At 14, that was it for me. As soon as I was able, I joined Special Forces, I joined the Army, spent 23 years in the Army and about 18 years as a Green Beret. And the last 10 years of my career was spent, like many of you, in and out of Afghanistan. And I was working with a lot of indigenous people, but, but a lot of them were the commandos. Um, I worked with a lot of amazing warriors, like my friend, Sergeant First Class Nezamuddin Nizami. We just called him Nizam. Now, Nizam was born in northern Afghanistan in, in uh, Takar province in 1989. We're not sure what day. Uh, but during that time, the Soviet Union was actively terrorizing Afghanistan, much the way Russia is in Ukraine right now. And Nizam's dad was a member of the Mujahideen, the freedom fighters that were fighting against the Soviets. And Nizam's dad was killed in a Soviet ambush when Nizam was somewhere around four months old. And just a few days after that, Soviet MiG fighters tracked in on Nizam's village right after his mom had put him down for a nap. And you can imagine there was almost no time for Nizam's grandfather and his mother to get out of there before a bomb impacted right on their house. They bailed out doors and windows. His grandfather was blown into the river and was killed immediately, but somehow his mom survived. And she shook off the, the shock of the explosion and she screamed because she had forgot the baby. She ran into the rubble and neighbors ran from all over the village and they were moving timbers and debris and they were searching, calling out Nizam's name over and over again. And finally, she got to the part where he would have been sleeping and she reached down and she pulled him out and he didn't have a scratch on him. Turns out this little dude's pretty hard to kill. <laughs> now at this point, Nizam's mom is a 17-year-old war widow, so she is sold into an arranged marriage to a man that's 75 years old, and they move away and they take Nizam with them, but the guy can't stand Nizam because he's not his biological son, and so he has Nizam sleep in the barn with the animals. And one morning, Nizam was having breakfast with uh, an aunt who actually treated him pretty well, and he said, Auntie, will I ever have a house of my own? And she said, Man, you already do. You have your backpack. Wherever you go with your backpack, that's your home. You're a backpack man. 
And so Nizam took her at her word and he ran away from home and he lived on the streets of Talaquan working for his food. And a few years later, he was down at the village uh, center, the bazaar, and he saw a bunch of locals gathered around one of the few televisions that were out there and he got up on his tiptoes and he could see this black and white grainy image of two towers that were smoking profusely. And he didn't really know what he was looking at. And then one of the towers fell. And then a few minutes, another tower fell. And the Taliban that were gathered around cheered, but he also noticed that they were kind of nervous and they were talking amongst themselves. A few months later, he figured out why when NATO soldiers showed up in his village and the Taliban were nowhere to be seen. But a few days after that, Afghan National Army soldiers showed up in his village, and this was incredible. He had never seen Afghan National Army soldiers, and they were recruiting. They were showing a film about the Afghan army, and so he watched this film three times in one afternoon and then marched promptly into the Afghan National Army recruiting office wearing a pair of women's high heel shoes so his five-foot frame could be accepted into the army. And the recruiter was so taken by his desire to serve that he did a waiver on the spot. And he signed Nizam up. Within a year of joining the Afghan National Army, Nizam was part of the Afghan commandos, very similar to our U.S. Army Rangers. And from there, he went into the Afghan Special Forces, which was designed to kind of mirror our Special Forces teams. And he graduated in the first class of Afghan Special Forces in 2010. I know because I was a keynote speaker at his graduation. And then a few months after that, he and I were conducting combat operations together down in southern Afghanistan. Everybody loved Nizam, and, and he loved them. He had, the backpack man had found his home and his family in U.S. Army Special Forces. There was so much trust with this guy that they actually sent him to the U.S. Army Special Forces Qualification Course at Fort Bragg. He graduated a certified 18 Bravo weapon sergeant as a Green Beret certified, went back to Afghanistan and continued conducting combat operations. One night he was leading a patrol of mostly U.S. Special Forces. He was walking point and he walked up on a Taliban ambush. And the Taliban ambush line was as close to me as my Navy brothers sitting right here. And he realized he was hosed. There was nothing he could do. So the only thing he could do was warn his U.S. brothers behind him. So he raised his weapon and yelled, ambush. And when he did, he took a round through the left cheek, out the right cheek, and he crumpled to the ground. Now, the U.S. Green Berets had been given enough warning that they beat back the ambush, and then they pulled Nizam back to them, and they started administering first aid. And it was a grievous wound, and all they could really do was put him on a medevac chopper and, and see him fly away, thinking they'd never see him again. A few weeks later, he shows up getting off a chopper with a big grin and dentures ready to conduct operations. The little guy's hard to kill. He's hard to kill. And that's the kind of warriors that I had the honor to serve with when I was in. In 2013, I retired and I decided to put the war behind me, but it was a lot harder uh, than I thought it would be. That's when the snakes in my head really started to crawl. In less than 18 months, I went from a high-performing Green Beret that was conducting combat operations with guys like Nizam to a dude that was walking around his house in a bathrobe, 
not showering, not shaving for weeks at a time. The post-traumatic stress, the survivor's guilt that I had pressed down day after day, month after month to stay in the fight came screaming in. I'd lost my purpose. I had lost my passion. And I felt like I'd lost my relevance. At some point, I found myself standing in my bedroom closet holding a loaded pistol and no intention of walking out. And ultimately, I was not able to, to go through with that. But what I found was that I was in this transition purgatory where I was unwilling to live and, and unable to die. And I felt like I felt like I was fading away. And it was, it was killing me because I thought, okay, I'm just over 40 years old. You know, I've, 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 I've got contributions to make, but what are they? I know that I learned lessons in these rough places about leading through low trust, and I could share those with civilians, but how? I mean, every time I would start to tell my story, I would lock up emotionally. And in a search to find my voice, I, I met um, a former NFL free safety turned actor, turned playwright, turned public speaker named Bo. And he was given a talk not, that, not far from here. And I watched him give this talk just dumbfounded as I watched him. He moved around the stage with the kind of physicality and confidence that I hadn't seen since I was in special operations. It was like seeing Mark in the soda shop again. And as soon as he was done talking, I went up to him and I told him who I was. And I told him a little bit about myself. And he said, I'm going to work with you. And he did. He trained me for two years, two straight years in the art and science of storytelling. And it didn't just change my life, it saved my life. I learned how to put my story to work in the service of others, to repurpose my struggles, what I call the generosity of scars. I did TED Talks, hundreds of keynote speeches, CNN, Fox News, analyst work, and even wrote a play. And to complete my midlife crisis, learned how to act at 50 and perform the play. And all of that was made possible by a civilian who stepped up for me in transition. But the real test of my storytelling skills came into play in the spring of 2021 when I started to get texts on Signal from my buddy Nizam, who was telling me that things in Afghanistan were falling apart, district by district, province by province. I checked in with some of my veteran buddies to see what they were hearing. And they were talking to their Afghan counterparts. And they said the same thing. Yeah, man, this thing's a house of cards. It could go at any time. On the morning of Sunday, August 15th, 2021, I got a text from a veteran buddy of mine. And he said, turn the news on. I turned the news on in time to see Taliban fighters rolling into the city of Kabul on our gun trucks wearing our uniforms, our body armor, carrying our carbines, and terrorizing local Afghans. And I stood there with my jaw on the ground trying to make sense of this, and that's when my phone rang, and it was Nizam. And his voice was as broken as he was, usually a very upbeat guy. But he said, hello, sir. I just wanted to let you know that it's over. Our president has left. Our generals snuck out. Our commando units are disbanded. I'm hiding in my uncle's house like Anne Frank right now, and the Taliban are texting my phone. I never worried about dying in this business. 
He said, but I never thought I would die alone. And that broke me, man. In that moment, all I could think about was a guy that had given so much to his brothers. And here he was going to be executed on the side of the road somewhere. So I, I tried to just get myself together and say whatever I could. And I said, Sergeant, you are not going to die alone. In fact, you're not going to die at all. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get your little butt across Kabul. You're going to get past those Taliban checkpoints. You're going to go to the Kabul International Airport. I want you to move through the crowd to the north gate. Yes, I know you don't have paperwork, but we're going to figure that out while you're moving. You're going to get pulled in. You're going to get on a C-17. You're going to fly to the United States, not just anywhere in the United States. You're coming to Riverview, Florida, and you're going to be my neighbor, and you're going to work in my nonprofit. Are we clear, Sergeant? Now, Nizam has this little high pitch hyena laugh he does when he doesn't believe anything you're saying. And boy, did he give me that laugh in that moment. But I had him back. I had him. I could tell he was back in. So I just said, charge your phone. We're going to get back to you when it's time to go. And I hung up the phone. And all I could think was, I just talked to a dead man walking. There's, there's no resources, no authority, no time to get him out of there. So I did. The only thing I could think of is I called some buddies that were veterans. And the thing we had in common was we had all served with Nizam. And we all loved him very much. And we had some pretty good relationships that we had built in that country over a couple of decades. And so we started leveraging those relationships, using our cell phones in a signal chat room. We started putting a plan together to move Nizam across the city, past the crowd, and he got within four feet of the gate near the Marines. And that's when I got a text from him. Sir, I'm sorry to tell you this. I don't have paperwork. The Marines are getting ready to throw me out. And my phone's on 10% power. You've got to be kidding me. We've been up at this point for like three days straight. We got him this close. And if they throw him out right now, he's burned, his, he's burned his safe house in broad daylight. The Taliban have set up a ring of security behind him. Uh, and his phone's his only lifeline to us. So he'll be, if he's searched, he's going to be executed. The only thing that we had in that moment was a phone number that we had been given to a guy named J.P., he was inside the airfield. He was supposedly a political officer for the State Department. And theoretically, if he was, he could approve Nizam to be pulled in. But we didn't even know this guy's last name. So we call the phone number and, and JP answers. And he hasn't slept in longer than we have. His voice is all froggy and broken. And you could hear the 50 caliber machine gun going off in the background. You could hear the flashbangs that were being thrown by the Marines. You could hear women screaming in the crowd. And JP said, listen, my phone is blowing up, guys. I, I don't even know who you are. You have one minute. So in that one minute, we told the story. We told the story of the backpack man, of the women's high-heeled shoes, of being a commando, of going to the Special Forces Q course at Bragg, and certainly getting shot through the face defending U.S. Green Berets. And JP, he is, he, he is four feet from your perimeter right now. And if you don't pull him in, He's going to be swinging from a lamppost, man. And JP got real quiet. You know, I was a Green Beret before I joined the State Department. We got to take care of our own. So what's going to, they're going to throw him out right now if he doesn't say the password. What's the password? Tell him to say pineapple as loud as he can right now. So we've got Nizam on speaker. We're like, dude, say pineapple. And Nizam's not like that, though. He's super, he's super laid back. He doesn't like to make a scene. So he walks up to this guy that's guarding the gate. Excuse me, sir. Yeah, what's up? I'm the pineapple. <laughs> You're the pineapple? 
I'm the pineapple. Okay, man, just uh, go right through that corridor right there. We'll get you on a plane. We'll get you out of here. A little while later, we get a selfie from Nizam standing in front of a C-17. And I'm in the driveway at the time. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the driveway at the time, and, and we have company, like, standing there. And I'm working it on my phone. I'm not even acknowledging these people. And as soon as I saw the picture, I just fell to my knees in the driveway and just started sobbing. And my, that's my wife, Monty, right there. She comes running over to me. We, by the way... 28 years tomorrow, our anniversary. But she comes running up and she, and she grabs me because she thinks something happened in Nizam. And I said, no, baby, he's out. We did it. He's out. We're done. And then you know how those alerts can come in on your phone? I get this and I look down on signal and it's a buddy of mine who's a SEAL. And he says, hey, Scott, I heard Nez got out. Congrats, man. Listen, I've got 15 interpreters plus families. We're heading to Kabul airport right now. You want to work together? Z -z -z another, I look down, it's a green beret. Hey, Scott, listen, we have 250 NMRG plus families. They're going to Kabul International Airport. I've got a signal room going. You want to work? Man, you've got to be kidding me. And I look over at Monty, true military family member to the core. She goes, well, I'll go start making supper. <laughs> and so I typed in the chat room, we are now Task Force Pineapple. And over the next five or six days, along with a, a whole bunch of other volunteer groups, our little group uh, worked to move through an open sewage canal and a four-foot hole in the fence, 750 to 1,000 Afghan special operators and their families into the arms of the 82nd Airborne so that they could get out of there, and the Marines. And the work of so many veteran and civilian volunteer groups during that time was amazing. Uh, it was uncanny what these veterans were stepping up and doing, but it was starting to take a toll on us as a, as a couple. Our business was tanking because that's all we were doing was trying to solve an Uncle Sam-sized problem with our pension funds and our phones. And my mental health was going down the toilet. And at some point, Monty said to me, babe, why are you doing this? Why are we going back into this darkness again? And I looked at her and I said, our three sons are watching us right now. They're watching every single thing that we do. And at that time, there wasn't anybody else coming, and, and that was our Pineapple Express. But I go back to the original question I asked you is, what's your Pineapple Express? Right? What's it mean to serve as a veteran in these challenging times? Because if you look around, these are extremely, extremely tough times that we live in. And, and nobody else is coming. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that since the towers fell, we've been in the longest war in our nation's history. There's people in this room with more than 10 deployments, family members in here who have endured extreme separation and hardship. But through all of that, we've, whether you served in World War II, Vietnam, Korea, the Cold War, post 9-11, service after the military is tough. It's tough to know where we fit. It's tough to find our relevance. And it can be stressful on the family. It can be stressful on you. So what I would simply say to you is rather than do that is, is to think about the first time that you came in the military, if you served. Your first day in the military, you know, the total chaos where the drill sergeant was throwing the trash cans down the hall and you're doing the push-ups. Why is it that you're smiling inside? Why is it that you knew you were exactly where you belonged? And then maybe think back to your worst day 
Maybe you got in trouble in your unit. Maybe uh, it was a bad firefight or you buried your buddy. But when everything in your mind was screaming, it's time to leave, why did you stay? What compelled you to continue to serve? And then I want you to think 10, 20 years from now, your little granddaughter sitting on your leg and she's looking at you and she says, what was it like being in the military? What are you going to tell her? What will you share with her that will help her understand how precious that time and those people were in your life? You see, the answers to those questions, service before self, love of country, never quitting, that's who you are. Right? That doesn't change when you take off the uniform or public opinion changes. No, that's, that's who you are. You didn't run all those miles, endure all those hardships, and get scuffed up like that just so you could fade away. I've seen what you did in those dark places. I've witnessed your sacrifice. I've seen your loyalty and your courage on the battlefield firsthand. I've witnessed your problem-solving skills in the face of insurmountable challenge. And what I will tell you is that your country needs you today more than any other point in our history. She's in trouble. Look at how our politicians are treating each other. Look at our school systems. Look at the way our communities are dividing around, along tribal lines. We need you and your family's moral compass more than we ever have. And I'm going to tell you something else, too. You're not alone on this mission any more than you were alone on any other mission. Your teammates are right there with you. Now, they may be civilian teammates to include guys like Bo, but they're with you just the same. But we have to reach out to them just like they reached out to us. Look, you've put your dreams on hold for so many years so that people could realize theirs. And it's time to hold your dreams up as veterans and military family members. Put them out there. Follow them with unapologetic relentlessness. And I know a lot of times it seems like you want to just fade away but we can't let you do that because if you fade away, we fade away. Our kids are watching us. Lead us. Lead my kids into better days. These are crazy times, but they're your times. Nobody else is coming. This is your Pineapple Express. God bless you. God bless America. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, wow. That was incredibly powerful. Thank you for sharing a, a deeply personal story. Thank you for telling us about Nizam. And what a powerful question. What is your Pineapple Express? What is your Pineapple Express? So thank you again. Now it's time for one of our audience's favorite parts of the program where we recognize all of you who are today representing the different branches of the military. Our orchestra will perform an armed services medley. When you hear your branch's song, please stand so that we may salute you. In addition, if you are a family member here representing a member of the military, please stand as well in his or her place when the branch's song is played so we can remember everyone who has participated or sacrificed in protecting our country.
Wow. How amazing. So powerful and beautiful. Thank you. President Reagan often said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. It has to be fought for and defended by each generation. Across generations, members of our armed forces have fought for our liberty and values. Now, as we look across history, including today's world, human beings have been really remarkable in their capacity for cruelty and for evil. Here at the Reagan Foundation, we are proud to be the exclusive West Coast location of a powerful special exhibit titled Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. Especially in, in the context of the October 7th attack on Israel, we invite you to visit this profound and impactful experience, which contains over 700 artifacts, which were direct witnesses to Auschwitz and the Holocaust more broadly. Now is the time that we need exhibits of this kind, and, as you, can, and you can see it today, right here in our museum. The Reagan Library is the only West Coast location for this exhibition before so many of its contents are returned to Poland next year. Last but not least, I invite you to stay with us as Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann signs copies on stage of his best-selling book, Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook one last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan. Thank you so much to all of us for being here with us today. We conclude today's program with the playing of God Bless America. God bless you all and happy Veterans Day. You can find this year's Veterans Day program as well as every past year's Veterans Day program held at the Reagan Library on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Reagan Foundation. Signed copies of Operation Pineapple Express can be purchased through the Reagan Library Museum Store. Every purchase you make from our catalog, website, or museum store is a critical component to our success. In short, your purchase supports our efforts to extend the legacy of President Ronald Reagan. Purchases can be made at reaganlibrary.com store. To find a listing of all upcoming events, please visit reaganfoundation.org events. Thank you for listening. And to all of our veterans and active military out there listening, thank you for your service. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you.
don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.